Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, Gavin did his classic dubbed voice mouth not moving with his own words, which actually takes some talent to, to do well. People try and they fail, but not you, my friend. Well, I, I do what I can. You do what you can, which isn't much, but you know. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, that is an insult to me. And the Shaolin Temple. So how are you? I'm good, man. Can't complain. It's uh, we're here. We are recording on a Sunday. We're gonna get this episode out tomorrow for the very special day that it is. But I've had a, a lovely Thanksgiving break once again. For uh, folks that don't know, this has been Thanksgiving week in America. So typically, for most of us, we end up getting Thursday and Friday off. So it's like a nice four day weekend. I uh, had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Eight. Way too much food per usual, but uh, I've been training really hard, so I've been doubling up on two days, mostly my own training and then hot yoga. So uh, today was just, you know, it's my rest day Sunday, so we just went for our usual uh, long Sunday walk. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just uh, been enjoying having the time off, relaxing, uh, getting some stuff done around the house, did a bunch of cleaning. Uh, we'll be setting up for Christmas here as soon as we're done recording uh, this call and then doing some grocery shopping. So yeah, just uh, trying to stay productive. How are you? I'm doing well. Same same here. Had a great uh, great couple of days off, uh, which doesn't always happen. And yeah, just just having a great four day weekend uh, with some work interspersed here and there. Just some light text messaging, but got to play some soccer this morning, which I yeah. loved in the sunshine uh, by the beach, Hermosa Beach. So it was just it was really a beautiful morning. And I stopped by the Japanese grocery store on the way home, and I grabbed a platter of sushi. Oh, so I nice. really can't complain. And, and now I'm topping the day off with a with a conversation about martial arts films. There you go. That sounds like a a perfect Sunday to me. Yeah. So so, so uh, yeah. I mean, we just recorded a few days ago, so not too much new to report. Uh, martial arts movie news. The one thing I do have is. Uh, if you want, you can all go to whistlekick.com and to check out and purchase the special Kathy Long edition hoodie they have. Yes. So uh, Coach Kathy Long, who uh, I've talked about before in the podcast, but is one of my coaches and a dear friend of mine. I uh, love her to death. She is a wonderful person, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Uh, but her and I still stay in touch. She was so to backtrack a little bit. For pretty much the first two years in L.A., I would still go over to the Inasano Academy once a week just to train with her. So to backtrack even farther, I first started my, my Muay Thai kickboxing journey in the summer of 2008. I had an internship in L.A. Internship was a horrific experience, uh, really <laughs> bad, just literally just terrible. But my two escapes were Gold's Gym Venice in the morning because I was on the West Side, and then the Inasano Academy in the evening. And pretty much to escape from the, the the terrible internship I was in, I was just training nonstop. So I was training at the Inasano Academy full, six days a week. Uh, I would do three to four days a week of Muay Thai, three to four days a week of Shuto. Uh, and like Wednesday nights was a double up. Yeah, so, uh, and then Monday nights was... Uh, at the 6 p.m. slot when I was able to go was what they qu called MMA, but really all it was was like... Uh, a revolving thing where they would just pick one of the random styles they chose. So, you know, people are like, oh, did you train JKD? Or, I was like, no, except for on Mondays, if they chose to do a JKD class, I would randomly do some JKD. Same thing, like one day that we bust out the collie sticks. But uh, otherwise, I, I was just training. It was like three months of nonstop Muay Thai and Shuto. I loved it. And that's what got me into Muay Thai and kickboxing uh, and transitioned me out of traditional martial arts. Uh and then so fast forward all those years later, 2016, so eight years later, uh, when I first moved back to LA, I was like, well, I don't know where to train. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go to the Inosano Academy. And uh, so that was, and then I saw also before moving back that Coach Kathy Long was teaching there again. So she was not teaching there when I was there in 2008. She had kind of had an off and on again uh, position there. So that was one of the main reasons I went back. Anywho, we first moved to LA, and that's also when I met, you know, our now sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. And you know, instantly knew he was uh, the the one that I, I needed to be my sensei. As they say, 
the, uh, the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that was definitely one of the situations. But I was like, I also <laughs> want to train with Kathy Long because uh, the way it worked is Jessica and I, like when we first came down, I hadn't even met Sugarfoot yet. So I signed up for like a month at the Inasano Academy and I was training with her. And so I still kept training with her once a week. And as I've said before, it was also great because when Sugarfoot would be out of town for a couple of weeks, I would, you know, just be training at the Inasano Academy. And I did that for about two years still training with Kathy on Wednesday nights. And then she eventually left. And then, you know, I was training just full. And I went to grad school. That's right. So by the time I went to grad school, it's just, I had no time anymore, but her and I still stay in touch. Anyway, she reached out to me, uh, sent me the link. It looks really cool. I'm probably going to order one myself. So yeah, it's, uh, at whistlekick.com. Whistlekick. Yeah. Whistlekick.com. And you can look up the Kathy Long edition hoodie. Uh, it looks cool. I'm probably going to be ordering one for myself. So, yeah, everybody, check it out. That's my main news I have for today. Do you have any martial arts-related news? I've been watching uh, – I've been catching up. I'm still one day behind on the fall sumo tournament. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You've been sending me And I've just – yeah, it's, it's been great because, you know, you fall behind. When, when you're working. So I have these days off. I've just been, so I, I, I know by the time that this episode is out, actually by the time we're recording, they already know who the champion is, but I have not watched that day yet. So I, I'm getting there, but it's been a lot of fun watching about two sumo, uh, two days in a day. So yeah, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, they're about 27 minutes, highlight reels. They're great. I and once again, Gavin is a legitimate fan of sumo. He grew up watching sumo in Japan. He knows the history of sumo pretty darn well. He's always uh, giving me cool little nuggets of information and history, or sometimes we'll even watch or see something. And he'll be like, oh, do you know who that is? I'm like, no. And he'll like give me a little bit of background on the uh, sumo person. Uh, so yeah, lots of great info there. But uh, also, last little bit of uh, martial arts-related news. We finished watching Blue Eye Samurai oh, on Netflix, which is very fantastic. Nice. Can't recommend it enough. It is an animated series, uh, definitely adult animated series. And it's kind of, I would not call it an anime. It definitely has an anime flair to it, but also has a Western. It's very much an international production. My one critique is that it's all in English as opposed to Japanese, but also made it kind of easier to just sit there and marathon episodes. But uh, a very cool series, a very adult uh, animation series. It has a lot of gratuitous nudity, nudity and sexuality, as well as extreme violence so it's got that anime uh tone to it but the actual animation style is kind of a, a an in-between between western animation and anime so really cool then because we finished that we finally started i shouldn't say finally it just kind of came out a few weeks ago uh onimusha uh the the anime series that uh that's based off the video game in a sense but the one where they are using toshiro mufune's uh likeness how uh, is that because Oh, so good. So we're two episodes in, and that's a straight anime, my friend. That With that that modern, like, digital style, I don't know how to describe it. It's like anime with, like, a digital overlaying type thing, you know, where uh, kind of like King and Ashura, which is another anime series we enjoy. Uh, but, man, it's so good. And where, where's that one streaming? Netflix. It's another okay. Netflix series. And well, it's in you, Japanese. So uh, I, I have uh, – I've – Taking a pause on Netflix because I have so many streaming services, and I'm 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 about to make a shift back, uh, shift one away, shift back. That way I can binge watch and, and get caught up on a lot of these uh, shows you've been telling me about that are over there, including uh, the Killer, which is based on the yes, French the comic, which I hear is pretty good. The French, the French, comic? there's a French comic, The Killer, very good. Huh? It, there's a French comic, The Kill. It's called The Killer. A French comic? <laughs> Not a stand-up comic. A comic book. A graphic novel. Oh. Are you, so are you talking about the movie The Killer that just came out on Netflix yes. that stars Michael Fassbender? Yes. It's based on a French comic book. Oh, okay. Sorry. Communication <laughs> no. breakdowns. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> yes. It, that film is very good. Uh, yes. Watched it's it. Not... I think I talked about it a couple episodes, yeah, yeah, episodes uh, ago. So I, I'm going to be uh, making a shift probably sometime in December and going over and uh, catching up on uh, what I've missed on Netflix. Excellent. Yeah, there's a, uh, a lot of great content right now. So funny. I was this close to canceling and I'm like, darn you, uh, Netflix. But uh, hey, they're they're raising their game. I like it. But uh, anywho, yeah, that's all the martial arts related movie news. How about we go straight into a quote? Okay. 
This one is low-hanging fruit. Got it. You ready? I am ready. Uh, I'm just going to whisper to see if you get it. Okay. Emotional. American Ninja 4. There you go. (laughs) No, okay. Go again. We need emotional content. We need emotional content. Not anger. Now try again. With me. We're going with Enter the Dragon. Yes. We are. I I I figured we're, we're talking about this icon, legend, actor's first film today. So why not cap it off with a quote from his uh oh not quite his last film. Wait, wait 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 we are not talking about his first film did you write watch the right movie i think i did it said somewhere that it was his first film you watched fist of fury right yes okay no his first film is the big boss okay where i, I will tell you when i was doing extensive research research today i was extremely surprised to read that it was his first film well, the, uh, so that's why I was so surprised. Job. Wikipedia? No, not Wikipedia. I was doing I was doing a deep dive on a lot of uh, film uh, uh-huh. bloggers, uh-huh. and so when I saw that, I'm like, I really thought it was the Big Boss. I'm like, I don't remember this being his first film, but if it it's, is, wow. Okay, what probably the mix up was the original English title of the Big Chinese Boss Connect. was Fist of uh, Fist of Fury, and then the. Fist of Fury's original English title was the Chinese Chinese Connection. So what this person was probably saying was Fists of Fury was his first movie, which was the original English title of The Big Boss. Well, they actually said Fists of Fury is his first film, but in America it was released as Chinese Connection. Which is where okay, I was like, okay, so then that was just completely wrong, and yes. I'm a little worried about any information you bring to this episode now. So let's. Well, uh, that, that's the only. This is the only information <laughs> I'm taking from that blog. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, I wonder whose blog that was. So, uh, no, today, today we are talking about uh, Bruce Lee's second film. And once again, we should establish <laughs> his second starring role as an adult after his return to Hong Kong. Because, yes, we all know he was a child star in Hong Kong beforehand. But, no, we are talking about the 1972 Hong Kong martial arts classic Fist of Fury, a.k.a. The Chinese Connection, and uh, in Mandarin, Jingwu Mun, which literally means the Jingwu Gate, uh, Jingwu being the school uh, that his character is from. So uh, we are doing this episode in honor of Bruce Lee's birthday, which is tomorrow. So uh, November 27th, 1940 is when he was born. So this would be his 83rd birthday if he was still with us today. Wow. It's a shame that he's not. I, I've, I've always, uh, I know there's a lot of speculation about what type of career he would have had, but uh, yep. his authenticity from minute one uh, just had so much promise. And fortunately, we have a, a collection of great films to discuss. Yeah. And it, it is interesting. It, it, you wonder what the trajectory would have been. Would he have even been as big? I mean, obviously, in a sense, yes. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he would have been even bigger somehow. Maybe had he still been alive, it would be the United States of Bruce Lee right now, and he would be the king of America. <laughs> but uh, I, I highly doubt that. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I chose this one mostly because initially I thought, well, maybe we should just do the big boss first, his first movie. But I, I felt like there was I needed a little more time to do a little more research Uh, Not that there isn't a lot to deep dive in on Fist of Fury, but I feel like it's also even production-wise a little more straightforward, uh, not as much differentiation between different versions. You know, there's a lot of different stuff when it comes to the big boss, when it comes to the soundtrack, when it comes to supposed deleted scenes, when it comes to the actual production of the film and the plot being changed around due to Bruce Lee's superstardom, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, Fist of Fury, I just felt was a good starting ground for us. Uh, A lot to dissect there, but also... Uh, you know, I didn't need to review as much. So uh, uncharacteristically, I actually only watched the film once in preparation, simply because I've seen it hundreds of times, it feels like. I did watch the classic English dub because that's my preferred one just because I grew up watching that. I have the Criterion Collection box set. Uh, I have not purchased the Arrow one yet. I'm kind of waiting till maybe it's more accessible to uh, us in America, even though I I helped arrange the... Uh, part of the behind the scenes features with our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. So I hope that turned out great. But uh, yeah, I think the Criterion collection uh, is wonderful, uh, their version of it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a 
maybe the arrow one is a 4k scan and the criterion one's only 2k scan really when he, when it comes down to that it's like uh, you know i really don't notice much of a difference uh but yeah some good behind the scenes features i watched two interviews uh with two of the co-stars i had never watched before so that was great uh and yeah so there's uh, a lot to discuss in this film so how about we let's go back in time when was the first time you watched this film that's a great question it has to be the late 80s or the early 90s on Japanese television. Oh, very cool. So early on. And it was a different cut. That's of for course. Sure. Yeah, of course. There's certain yeah. things that they, wherever you are, the market dictates or the country's censorship dictates certain scenes not be in it or what have you. But that was so my first would- watch. And you would have been probably around the same age I was when I first watched it, like what, you were like 10 or 12 or around there? Somewhere in there, yeah. Okay. And uh, was so was this your first experience with Bruce Lee or had you seen some of the other stuff or? That's a great, it's a great question. Uh, it's a great question. This or Enter the Dragon was my first experience. Okay. Right on, right on. What about on. you? And- Where, what's... So you, oh, you I can were... tell you, uh, I it was Christmas Day, 1999, when I got to the Bruce Lee box set from Costco on VHS, because uh, once again, I hadn't been allowed to watch any of them because they were all rated R, but when I got it for Christmas from my mom, I knew, ha ha, I'm allowed to watch it. And so it would have been the second film I watched because I watched them in order. In my box set, though, The Big Boss was called Fist of Fury, and Fist of Fury was called The Chinese Connection, but I already knew everything there was to know. Uh, about these films, the order, the, the original titles, et cetera. So yeah, I remember just, I watched, as I said, the whole box set in one day, I'm pretty sure. That's uh, Fist of Fury, uh, The Big Boss, Way of the Dragon, Game of Death, uh, and then Bruce Lee, The Legend, the, the documentary. Watched them all in one day. Because uh, you have to remember, as a little kid, you're usually done unwrapping presents by pretty early because you wake mm-hmm. up early because you're so excited. So I, I literally watched them just all day. And I'm pretty sure I watched them a second time the next day. So uh, yeah, uh Love all of them. And, and once again, I've been watching them nonstop for uh, the last almost 25 years. So hence why I don't really need to watch it as many times through when uh, we discuss it. But uh, there's something special about Fist of Fury that I feel like maybe even upon rewatching it right now of his Hong Kong films uh, and will include Game of Death in its original kind of idea so even like the 30 minute version that's available now so if we're talking about the big boss fist of fury way of dragon a way of the dragon excuse me and game of death uh excluding enter the dragon i feel like fist of fury is maybe his most consistent film in terms of the structure of the story in terms of, I mean, just the overall narrative in terms of the production in terms of the action, even. And I know this is a bold statement because a lot of people way of the dragon as their favorite, because, you know, Bruce Lee wrote directed. And a lot of people say it's his most honest expression of himself or the film that's most closely related to Bruce as the individual. And I love way of the dragon, but there's still some slight inconsistencies throughout it. Uh, even some of the action, uh, in my opinion, is a little more kind of dull and choppy at some points, even though it has, you know, the incredible finale uh, and sequences throughout. But I just feel like there is a certain energy and uh, kind of uh, captivating factor of Fist of Fury. It's just very visceral, very explosive, very... Uh, and I feel like it embodies that dragon spirit of Bruce Lee, if you will, just that kind of, uh, the, the character he's playing, the Chen Zhen character, uh, really is just a fiery protagonist, almost kind of lingering. I mean, not really into anti-hero territory, but when he really, I mean, he, he takes vigilantism to, uh, that next level. It's uh, it is it is probably his most linear film, again outside Agreed. of Under the Dragon. Um, it is if you look at the other films and, and you make sports analogies with uh, many of his other films, uh, 
he's the all-star that the team is built around and he has to carry the entire load. Whereas with mm-hmm. Fist of Fist of Fury, he he Wait, has a, Fist of Fury. Yeah, w- with Fist of Fury, he has oh, a team. Okay. Yes. He has an all-star team with him and he's he is your clutch player. If that, if that makes I any like sense, it, it's just a to, it's a it's a real real total package of a film, uh, and you know I mean again the reason why I chose the quote wasn't just because my misunderstanding of what his first film was and last film, uh, but essentially this film is charged with emotional content. Perfect it's, analogy. It's, oh please go. Oh, I was just gonna say you you nailed it because that consistency we get with this film makes sense. So for a little bit of backstory with the big boss, remember Bruce Lee was originally brought on. Uh, as a co-star and then after filming like his first scene uh, they see how dynamic it is and he butted heads with the original director so they you know they send the dailies Raymond Chow whatever and it's like the director's pretty like it's me or it's Bruce Lee and they're like well we're going with Bruce so the plot has changed the director's changed and then Lo Wei's brought in now Lo Wei say what you will about him was a very seasoned established director with a lot of experience and who technically in my opinion just from the films of you know of his we've seen over the years is a very sound director uh yeah I mean like a lot of directors there's rumors of him being kind of absentee while filming and being obsessed with the races and you know listening to horse races on his uh radio which was kind of I mean like Changcha same thing people said he would be there sometimes not others but anywho that aside he was a technically very strong director so with the big boss there's kind of that you know the inconsistency of the production which it's still a fantastic film but maybe that's why the flow of it is a, sometimes feels a little uneven or we have gaps where it's a little less exciting whereas Fist of Fury we have a very technically sound established director who knows what they're doing uh we have Bruce Lee now having consistency from the beginning, even if he does butt heads with Lo Wei. Uh, and he was also given 100% creative freedom when it came to his fight scenes and the mm-hmm. choreography. Whereas even a later film like Way of the Dragon, Bruce Lee's wearing so many hats and still did a fantastic job, but maybe it was a little bit difficult to juggle all that right out the gate. Same thing with Game of Death. Uh, and then, yes, you have enter- even bringing it into the dragon, you have Robert Klaus, kind of same thing. You're, you know, nothing really special about his directorial talents, but he could put together a, a solid film. But he also didn't have the same experience within the genre, which maybe Lo Wei brought just having been a director in, uh, you know, the Asian market. So you you nailed it when you say this kind of all-star group, right? Uh, and it's also filmed in Hong Kong. So you have... The entire cast, minus obviously some of uh, the the foreign cast members brought in, it's it's Hong Kong this time, unlike Big Boss, which was shot in Thailand. And so maybe you have some crew members that are, you know, just local people there. And same thing with extras and stuntmen here. You have it's pr- a pretty consistent team of, you know, Hong Kong stuntmen stuff. I mean, just watching this film, you see Corey Yuan in there. Obviously, Yuan mm-hmm. Wah has a part. Lam Ching Ying in the end. Uh, Jackie was a stunt double in there. And you see Jackie. Uh, you have a- other actors and actresses that were already uh, kind of veterans of the martial arts genre. So I think that's a perfect analogy you created where it's like you have a solid team and then you've got your star quarterback as well. Not a star quarterback who has to carry the entire load and throw the ball to himself practically. This is all right. I got a, you know, a solid, uh, we got a solid defense. And then on offense, we also have a killer offensive line. I got a great running back. I got some wide receivers and maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, it's, 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 it's such a good package. And the, the script is linear. It stays on point. I mean, it's very, it, there are, there is some double crossing, of course. And of course, uh, as soon as I saw James Tian, every time I see him, I'm like, is he going to be the double crosser, even though I've seen the film a thousand times? So it's yeah. nice that it was <laughs> nice for him that it wasn't. But there, there are a lot of, uh, there's, there's a little double cross that, that happens in the film. But at the same time, the script is straightforward and it allows the performers to perform allows the action sequence to transpire without it getting too convoluted as to why these people are fighting. Very straightforward film. Uh, like I said, a lot of emotional content, sometimes obviously bordering on, you know, maybe s- stereotypical Japanese uh, characters. Well, 
I, oh, I thought you were kind of going in a different direction, but yes. But also the interesting thing is the element, and this was something that, and this is what I like about the Criterion box set is Matthew Pauly, the most kind of re, most recent Bruce Lee biographer does a little video essay for each film. And with this one, he talks about uh, Bruce's heavy influence from the Chambara genre, which we all know he was a fan of. So yes. Chambara being the samurai films and so forth. So he brings in that element of the melodrama and, uh, you know, some of that dramatic uh, character acting type thing, just not over the top, but just that element, even the way he carries himself as a protagonist and hero and, you know, the relationships between the characters and so forth. So th there's that's, definitely that's, that element. That's a fantastic point, because as I was watching this film this time around, I'm like, and I had just recently gone into some Hideo Gosha movies, and we've talked about Hideo Gosha a few times, the Japanese director who is very sort of an icon or legend among the Shambhara films. I'm watching watching these sequences, and I'm feeling, and I there's definite a Hideo Gosha feel to these films. So yes, you're you're right that that uh, that is all evident there, and, and I think you'd mentioned that before, like with the way of the dragon, with the cinematography he used, and and cinematographer he used for his fights. He had he had a great appreciation for the Japanese cinema of that time, and and well, incorporating what was strong. Yes, a hundred percent. And actually, uh, one of the best parts about the. Uh Criterion box set. It just includes some old interviews, though, with uh, which I had never watched of our two Japanese co-stars in the film. So uh, Ricky Hashimoto, who plays Suzuki, you know, mm -hmm. the main uh, bad guy. And then uh, also uh, Jun Katsumura, who plays the bodyguard. But they talk about how uh, uh, initially Bruce went to Japan. This is supposedly, I mean, their word, Bruce went to Japan and actually had wanted... Uh, Shintaro Katsu to be in it, as wow. in from Zatoichi. Yeah. And because and we we know Bruce was a fan of Zatoichi. We've seen the pictures of him doing the Zatoichi character when he was doing those photos that was supposedly was Shaw Brothers uh that he was supposedly doing to try to anger Raymond Chow about him maybe leaving and going to Shaw Brothers. But anywho, uh, but Shintaro Katsu couldn't do it. He was contractually obligated. Uh, and that's when instead he recommended. Uh, Ricky Hashimoto and uh, Jun Katsumura uh, to be in the film and said, and this is according to uh, Jun Katsumura on his interview. That's what he had said. So yeah, obviously, and the fact that they even brought in because all the other Japanese characters are played by local Hong Kong actors, as far as I'm, I know. Uh, so the fact that they even went out of their way to bring in two, what you might call established uh, Japanese actors to be in the film says something, right? Like mm -hmm. they could have easily just, and when you watch most of these style of films throughout the seventies, usually it is all Chinese actors playing the Japanese characters or sometimes Korean, right? Like you'll get Huang Jing Lee in there. Uh, so obviously that extra effort was put in there and, you know, Bruce being a kind of, uh, Bruce being international himself, right? You know, part Caucasian, part Asian, uh, born in America, raised partially in Hong Kong, then living in America. He and he had that appreciation for just cinema in general, not just local Hong Kong, not just American, not just Japanese. And I, I feel like he was definitely ahead of his time in that sense too. But Golden Harvest was also uh, one of the forerunners of this style of kind of international feels to their pictures, which ended up being a smart marketing move in the sense of. Yes, these films were already selling throughout different Southeast Asian territories, but just maybe having that extra flair of, oh, hey, and this one's got some uh, Korean actors in it. Maybe the Korean market will be more interested, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, I know we know this film very well. You always do a good rundown of the film. I don't know if you want uh -huh. to. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So, that is definitely good at this point. So, what this is, it's a fictional story based around a real-life individual in a sense. And now in, in recent years, some people even wonder how legitimate or how factual his exact actual existence is, but we're going under the basis that he was real. So the well-known Chinese folk hero of Ho Yuan Jia in Mandarin or Fak Yuan Gap in Cantonese. Uh, I believe in the English dub, they actually say Ho Yuan Jia. Uh, but yeah, also famously, this character has popped up in a lot of movies, pretty much since Fist of Fury. Uh, famously, Jet Li played him in the movie Fearless, fantastic film. Uh, 
Brian Young, aka Leung Karyan, aka Beardy, played him in Legend of a Fighter. Eddie Coe played him in Donnie Yen's Fist of Fury television series. But anywho, the story revolves about around the death of Ho Yun Jia, who was a Chinese folk hero. Uh, I the the fictionalized account is like you know he was this famous martial artist that defeated all these other martial artists and foreign fighters, uh, and you know established the Jingwu uh, Academy, which was a real school in Shanghai that was ahead of its time because it taught multiple Chinese martial arts systems, which was, you know, still very almost sacrilegious at that time or blasphemous in a sense, you know, you didn't mix styles, but uh, it was kind of, I guess, based around the unifying of, you know, China and the Chinese and Chinese martial arts. Now there is some people that think that he actually didn't really start the school. He was kind of just a face for the school, just like the supposed famous picture of him. It's like, was that really him? Yes. Uh, some people, like some theories are now he was just like the cook or something and he was used as the figure for it. I mean, who knows, but we're going off of kind of the more classical idea of him being this martial artist. So he died suddenly, and then there was these rumors that he was poisoned by the Japanese. So that's the story we're going off of here. Uh, and Bruce Lee plays Chen Zhen, his number one student, uh, who is, in a sense, a completely fictionalized character. Supposedly, I think when they were creating the story, they looked at one of the old uh, class registers or whatever for the Jingwu Academy and found the random name Chen Zhen and just picked the character and ran with it. So Chen Zhen is, in a sense, a fictional character. Uh, so it's based around him returning to Shanghai uh, because his master dies. Uh, so, I mean, in the, in the movie, in the English show, they talk about how he's not familiar with Shanghai, like maybe the Shanghai school is newer and he attended somewhere else. I, I was ne never really quite sure what they were getting at there. But uh, yeah, and then in like the Jet Li version, not Fearless or Hoi and Jaw, in Jet Li's version of Fist of Fury, uh, Fist of Legend, which is a fantastic film. Uh, he plays the Chen Zhen character in that one. It's He's a student in Japan that's returning uh, to find his master has been killed. So the, the whole unfamiliarity with Shanghai, maybe it's just an English dub thing. But yeah, so he comes back. He discovers that indeed the Japanese poisoned his master and he gets revenge. Sweet revenge. Sweet, sweet Actually, revenge with his fist of fury. Yes, so... What I appreciate about about this film is there there are moral dilemmas that that exist. Uh, the master, the 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 now substitute master, to Linda to refrain. Um, whether also even at the end of the film, just fast forwarding to after everything is said and done, and the revenge is 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 complete. Rather than just ending there, so many films often do. There are the repercussions. Mm -hmm. uh, that come after after that it's just uh it's just a wealth it's a well thought out film and it it's in line with you know we we haven't talked about films in a while that have like uh the martial code or a bushido code to them but this and then also the educational process that a student you know that that a main character goes through or that an audience might go through and what 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 fists of fury offers the audience is dealing with the anger that they might experience just as Bruce Lee experienced and having the having uh, all the students refrain for a moment, I think builds the anger and builds the desire for our express expressing of that anger and then coming full full story arc, the repercussions of expressing that anger. Uh, and it's it's just I don't know what else the lead character, Bruce Lee's character could have done. He was That's forced. actually, I think, a, a really good point uh, on your part that I never thought about. And now I'm like, oh, wow. So the idea of Bushido or the martial code or, you know, I think Kanti's Molduk and in Mandarin Wu Te. So because it's this, you know, he he takes his vengeance, you know, it's this thing of honor. But in the end, he also he could have easily gotten away. He could have ran away, uh, you know, his school, but his school would have been shut down. Uh, the remaining members may be arrested or whatever. So that's when he decides to give himself up because it's the right thing to do, right? He's following that martial code. But then rather than be arrested, uh, and it, most people know the ending, and if you don't, spoiler alert, the finale is as the police are taking him out and there's a firing squad waiting there just in case, he decides, F it, 
I'm going out in a blaze of glory, runs up in the air, jumps, throws a flying kick. You hear the gunshot. So it's insinuated that he is uh, executed right then and there. So kind of almost, that's more in line almost like with a Bushido thing, right? Like Sipaku or uh, uh, honorable suicide, you know? So he's doing yes, the he's, right he's, thing. He's, he's giving himself his, up. Yeah. But he's dying yeah. with honor. Absolutely. It's sort of like he served his master and, and now it's, uh, now you're, I, I didn't even think about it to, to, to the extent that you mentioned of just... Uh, he served his he's done his duty and now he is sort of doing the bushido code and it has an ending very much like uh uh butch cassidy and the sundance kid which may have come out a couple of years prior yes yes it did. Few, and, uh, like three or four uh-huh, I, think. I think it was but, 69 yeah. yeah so essentially it stops in that still frame and you hear the gunshot so we don't see our our beloved legend uh you know get shot but it's enough for the audience to know we can we can we see that final frame of of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Clid or uh Bruce Lee in this instance just uh freeze frame. And it's it's a special moment for the audience rem- to for us to be able to remember these heroes in their in their natural state. Right. And when you look at Bruce Lee's three completed Hong Kong films, they each have this element of the Bushido or uh, Motak or Wuta. But I feel like this is the only one that really comes kind of full circle with it because in The Big Boss, he eventually decides to avenge his family members. Uh, and so, I mean, that's just a straight revenge one. And in the end, also, he's arrested in there. He, you know, gives himself up, blah, blah. So there's certain parallels there, but it's not so much, I feel like, that same sort of Bushido code. It's more of just kind of most morally, more like a, international or global worldwide thing of revenge mm-hmm. uh and then in way of the dragon there's certain codes there are elements of the code of honor like when you know he's telling chuck norris hey dog this is it give up and he doesn't and then he's forced to kill him and you see the regret and he lays the uniform and stuff and that's that, that's definitely a code of honor right there but not that necessarily and that the theme isn't throughout the the film as well i feel like this one you really nailed it where it's the the one film where maybe we have this real underlying message about the martial code and Mm -hmm. uh the ethics but at the same time he totally steers away from uh that especially within i believe the chinese version of like molduk or wuda which is the fact that he starts murdering people left and right (laughs) he he starts with this you know his fist of fury his revenge uh where i think with with bushido maybe is i i'm not as familiar It, it it might be more in line and you know you know, honoring your master and so forth. But I know, for example, Lok Arlung, who liked to have the martial ethics within his film, that's why he didn't like a lot of killing and so forth. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to weigh it here and there, right? Like, I I believe, especially in that period, uh, this film is set kind of early 20th century. But if we're looking at 20th century, 1800s, or, you know, something like that, maybe the idea of you were expected to avenge your master, right? And that's a theme we see in a lot of Kung Fu movies. So this film and comparison to The Big Boss or Way of the Dragon really has that underlying theme of the martial code. Absolutely. Yeah. And so production-wise, this one was also a change of pace from its previous film and, uh, excuse me, Bruce's previous film and his following one in the sense of shot exclusively in Hong Kong on studio lots. Yes, there's the famous park sequence shot in Macau with uh, featuring Yuan Wang where... No Chinese or dogs allowed, but mo- for the most part, shot in a studio, whereas The Big Boss was shot on location in Thailand, where Way of the Dragon would be a combination of studio sets in Hong Kong and uh, Rome, Italy. So uh, this one was definitely uh, a different feel than its previous film being on the studio lots, and I feel like that actually created an uh, advantageous element to it. Uh, whereas, you know, sometimes it's talked about with the Shaw Brothers films uh, because they were churned out one after the next and they were shot on those same studios. And it's very impressive how their crew was able to turn around and change the sets, you know, for that specific film. But at the same time, they all kind of had that similar, sometimes artificial look, especially when you're watching a bunch of them back to back to back. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, this film, I feel like they did a really good job of not making us feel like it was on a studio. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with uh, the, the different settings. You know, we have the specifically very Japanese style dojo, 
We've got the very uh, Chinese feeling uh, Guan or like Marshall School. Uh, I, I don't know how to say in Cantonese. Sorry, guys. Uh, and, you know, just the different alleyways and so forth. So and it, it also kind of, I feel like, boxed in the explosive presence of Bruce Lee in the right kind of way. Uh, and by filming in the studio, probably from a technical aspect was a little bit easier to, you know, set up for fight scenes and lighting and this and that, that maybe even when filming in Thailand, it's like, okay, you know, we're outdoors. There's those elements you have to take into account. Uh, it is interesting though, because I've always felt that the, the lighting in this film actually wasn't the best for Bruce Lee's physique. Uh, I feel like a lot of the times throughout the film, you actually don't, you can't really see his musculature and so forth. It's almost like it's uh, washed out. So that is something uh, I've I felt over the years, but not that it was bad lighting. It just maybe it wasn't, because I know typically, especially for physiques, it's supposed to be lighting from above. And I don't know, I, I don't know how they had it, that it, set up. That's a good idea because it did feel a little, a little bit like studio cookie cutter lighting at times. Yes. And then there are other moments where we're seeing iconic sequences. Obviously, we just talked about the one where he's, you know, doing a jump kick towards the firing line. There's the punch, the one inch punch to the gut or the sternum. And of course, there's the the fight sequence in the in the garden uh, where his hands are, you know, uh, fluid. Yeah, fluid. And you know what's really funny is so many people have tried to rip that off over the years. I can't see why they couldn't do it. I mean, Bruce Lee did it is, is the iconic one. It's never going to be any better than that. But so often, like whether it was Jackie Chan and New Fist of Fury, whether it was Bruce Lee trying to do it or Bruce Lai trying to do it, nobody could ever get it right. And it always looked like they were moving too fast or this. I, I don't know why. He just... For some reason, they they got it right in that one, and everyone that tried afterwards failed miserably. I know it's it, it's uh, you know every time it comes up, every time I watch it and that scene comes up, I'm just like, wow, this this is a moment, and it was a moment in film history. It's it's a moment that is once you've seen it, it's seared into your in into your film library in our in our in in our brains, our collective brains. It's just it's a beautiful moment where his hands are like. I don't know how else to describe it, but the fact that they did this only on film as well and yeah. not with CGI or or anything else that technology today could aid in, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, remarkable. I agree. And uh, so from a technical aspect, I guess the martial arts mania podcast, we should get into talking about some of the martial arts sequences. And obviously there's so much more we can get into in this film and, you know, probably do multiple episodes. I mean, we could talk about how it's the one film where he kind of has a more well-established romantic relationship with co-star Nora Mao. I mean, they even share a very passionate kiss, uh, you know, things like that. Once again, that goes back to kind of that more melodramatic element that he liked from the Chambara films. Not that you didn't see that in Chinese films. Uh, I mean, Shaw Brothers had plenty of wuxia pictures throughout the 60s that, you know, uh, and non-wuxia ones that were about like romantic tales of this and that. But for Bruce Lee, uh, I mean, in The Big Boss, he sleeps with a prostitute. And there was another scene where he sleeps with a prostitute. Way of the Dragon, his relationship with Nora Mao is always they're kind of more like buddies. Enter the Dragon, there's really no uh, hint at that. Uh, in his original plot for Game of Death, it's he's rescuing his sister and brother. So this one's kind of the, the only one where we really see uh, the romantic side of Bruce, right? And how he even has to, you know, soften himself in a sense. Like he has to step out of this vengeful mindset to convince her how much he loves her and this and that and the, the whole sequence at the graveyard. But I digress. So let's get back into the fight scenes. It's a great sequence, by the way, where, where they're yes. back to back and speaking and the way it's shot. That's one of the other scenes that's just really well lit. But agreed. And I, I wanna... think that kind of that speaks to a bit of low way, maybe having more of that established, uh, you know, filmography and experience there. But who knows? Uh, and I'm going to make a, a bold statement here. Eh, well, I mean, maybe tied with another dragon. I think the the martial arts sequences of this are the most consistent of Bruce's. Maybe it's tied with Enter the Dragon, but of 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 his filmography now. And it's it's quite often said, oh, in this one he finally had full creative control, and he was allowed to choreograph all of his fight sequences. And whenever people say that, there's always this implication that there's like multiple sequences without him that uh, 
uh, Han Ying, uh, excuse me, uh, Han Ying Chie choreographed, who famously was the big boss in The Big Boss and was the fight choreographer on that film. And in this one, kind of to respect him, they gave him the title fight choreographer or, you know, kind of, I guess, co-choreographer, but Bruce Lee did all of his own fight scenes. But there's only one sequence that doesn't include Bruce, that really that Han uh, Ying Chie choreographed, and that's the storming of Jing Wu uh, by the the uh, Suzuki's dojo, uh, or the, uh, uh, what what's the name of it? The, uh, I can't think of the name of the dojo. What's the name of their dojo? Hongko, Hongko Dojo, <laughs> uh, as in like Hongko uh, in a district in Shanghai. Uh, I should have remembered that. But anywho, yeah, so that's the only one without Bruce. And uh, so, and you see the definite difference between the styles of choreography because that sequence has a lot more of that Chinese opera feel to it. A lot of open hand slaps and chops, uh, even a weird little high five sequence. Yes. But the funny part is in, in that, that sequence, uh, Tian Feng, who's kind of like the headmaster of the school, aside from the little weird high five thing he does with the uh, Japanese school sensei, his little beats, there's like three of them, are the best of that fight scene. They're, he's very fast and explosive with like snappy front kicks and chops. And that actually looks really cool. I was like, I'd watch a whole movie of that. But the rest of it definitely has that more traditional uh, basher genre kind of quote unquote chop socky feel to it. So, but with all of Bruce's sequences, everything is so consistent. Whereas Obviously, in the big boss, you know, he's brought on later. He probably had a lot of creative control, but not full. So and the fight scenes are still great, but a little more, you know, you can see kind of the traditional element to a lot of it. And there was a lot more fight scenes without him, like with James Tien when he was the original star. So there's all of his sequences, which are much more of that traditional feel. Even Way of the Dragon, as I said, there's a lot of, you know, even a little comedy dispersed throughout and where he's fighting all the thugs in the alley. They're not as talented martial artists. And there's some moments where he has Bruce looks great, but maybe they don't. And the, the choreography is a little inconsistent and the execution maybe isn't as powerful, but then you've got the finale of way of the dragon, which, you know, makes up for that. And I feel like that's why people forget that all the time, but really I, bold statement here. I think fist of fury may be the most consistent throughout. You have the opening, uh, I mean, dojo busting scene in a sense with Bruce, which is fantastic. Uh, you've got the kitchen fight where he takes out the two Japanese spies, uh, which is great. Uh, and then you've got the finale, which I think, and even myself, I think is really underrated and sometimes forgotten about. And I, I would, bold statement here, it might actually be, of all Bruce's films, the best finale because like if we break them down like the big boss is great but you know it's the first one right out of the gate way of the dragon fantastic so you know you've got your fight with bob wall you've got your fight with wong and sick and then you got your fight with chuck norris which really maybe is the the best but and then you got enter the dragon which i love but i feel like bruce does a great job in the opening sequence fighting off all the guys storming him but then you know the fight between him and han is a little more uh you know it's He's older, and so, and then it's more it's, the, it, the idea of the Hall of Mirrors, and it's cinematically beautifully shot. Yes, it's yes. cinematically beautifully shot. It's despite Bruce Lee's influence, you have we have to realize that Robert Klaus is involved in some some way, shape, or form. So just like the big brawl, the final fight, also directed by Robert Klaus, but with Jackie Chan, there's like elements that are really great, but then just like falls off. Uh, so I'm not trying to disrespect Enter the Dragon in any way, shape, or form, but cinematically, it is a beautiful finale. It's a thriller suspense finale. I think where you're going with Fist of Fist of Fury is spot on because I mean you yeah. have you have a group fight sequence, you have the mm -hmm. bodyguard fight sequence, mm -hmm. you have uh, uh, Bob Baker. Thank you, Bob Baker fight sequence. And then you had the finale, which also features Jackie Chan going through uh, a paper door. That's right. And so, yeah, so you start, it starts off where he has the the group fight against pretty much the cleanup crew, which Lam Ching Ying's in there. That is fantastic, explosive, fast-paced choreography. is nice and crisp. Then he start, then he gets through to the Japanese garden, faces the bodyguards, uh, including uh, Jun Katsumura, who is a real-life uh Judo that's, practitioner. I love that's actually wrestler. one of my favorite yeah. sequences. He gives and he he actually manages to like throw Bruce once with a really good judo yes. throw, and, and he's you know a tough opponent. He ends up being uh, finished with a nut shot, you know. Uh, and then 
we get the Bob Baker fight scene, which I've always felt is super underappreciated. I Very remember much. even as a kid first seeing it, loving it. It's like, once again, bold statement. It's it's almost up there with the Chuck Norris fight scene. Now, Chuck Norris was a much better martial artist uh, just all around completely, especially in terms of his kicks. But and this this falls on on Bruce being such a good choreographer and stuff. He he develops this style for Petrov, the Russian, with Bob Baker. Uh, that's just perfect for Bob Baker's abilities. And he you know he throws some you know once again his kicks aren't as good, but they're still good kicks. Uh, and obviously Bruce probably coached him and instructed him the best way to throw them. You have the grappling element in there, and yes, I know it's like an upside down kind of arm bar shoulder crank, which is really set up there for Bruce to be able to do the bite on the leg. But uh, and, but a lot of that comes down to Bruce's style and execution on there, where once again, it was a precursor to that whole idea of him using JKD because he has to evolve a little bit, right? But th- there are there are a lot of parallels between his performance in that fight and in the way of the dragon, the sense of he starts off with the traditional style, he does some Wing Chun, like explosive, fast trapping hand stuff. Then he evolves, uh, you know, after getting knocked down by Bob Baker into more of a JKD style, hence why he does the hands, which is kind of like that, all right, now I'm blurring the lines of styles and formalities. And then he starts moving around and he does some great boxing. He does a jab to a triple jab, which is also mm-hmm. filmed really well. Then he does body shot, body shot come up, or, you know, fakes the body shot, comes up with a right hook from the lead side because uh, he was, you know, strong side forward, a southpaw, which is a classic boxing technique. Just really good stuff in there. And then, yeah, so not only that, then we get uh, what well, uh, the final fight, uh, although brief, with Riki Hashimoto, uh, who being a Japanese actor uh, and an athlete, he was a professional baseball player, but obviously I feel like most of the actors in Japan had to go through kind of martial arts training. Uh, his Even though it's short and brief, his swordsmanship is extremely explosive and fast. And I feel it's really underrated because we don't really get to see it that that much of it, but he comes in there like really after Bruce, especially when he still has the nun, when they have the nunchucks and just his presence is really believable because you think almost like, oh, this guy's going to just be a wuss. That's why he has all these other guys fighting for him. No, it's a short sequence, but he shows that he's quite capable and he yeah. lands a punch on Bruce that hurts him. Like you see the the power of the straight forward karate punch. Uh, and I, it's almost like you wish you could have seen more, but I feel like we didn't quite need it because he had already done Every, everything that led up to that, and I and you're right about the swordsmanship. I I particularly like the sequence where before the nunchucks, uh, Bruce had a staff. There's oh, a staff the, the log, the big log. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the log, and uh, you know the chopping. I I'm sorry, it almost felt like it was a real sword, and it was more like an exercise. Yeah. Either yeah, I mean, there's maybe it's maybe it's cinema magic, but it was just a so well shot sequence and and the way he was using the katana the sword was just beautiful yeah and also i mean the the great thing about the finale is also actually so the soundtrack is very consistent i like the the music throughout the film da, 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 da. one of the most iconic soundtracks obviously didn't make our list as greatest but is but actually is and there is music used at the beginning if i'm not mistaken when he's fighting the initial crew but it's also the lack of music throughout parts of it uh like the silence and you actually hear the japanese garden sounds right the little yes. the water pouring in the wood and like and then they start introducing some kind of sound cues slash music cues. So it's just a brilliant use of sound or lack thereof throughout the sequence as well. Whereas something like Way of the Dragon, the final fight with Chuck Norris, you know, the music is very, you know, it's got the Way of the Dragon theme Mm -hmm. and it's great. But I I feel like there was something special about the way they utilized sound throughout the whole finale here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There, there's the there's the Fist of Fury theme. There's the Fist of Fury romantic theme. So it just it, it appears here and there throughout the film, uh, which sounds a lot like Ironside to me. I texted you about it. It's it, but you know <laughs> I mean I know they have their own theme song. They have their own lyrics on top of it. But it's just uh, yeah. I, I think the the balance between having soundtrack and then the the ambiance sound. And that that really helped heighten a lot of the emotional elements, like even in the graveyard scene where they're professing love for each other. The theme song reappears, but there are moments where the theme song and the the, the orchestrations aren't present. You know, it's kind of piggybacking on what we just talked about in last week's episode. But you know, soundtrack may can make or break a film, or or heighten it a little bit. And this soundtrack, just like the film, is completely consistent and doesn't pull us out of the film at all. 
Right. Uh, and just, as we said, also utilizing, like, even when he uh, punches uh, Katsumura, so Suzuki's bodyguard, in the nuts, it's they yeah. use the, the drum cues, like, boom, boom. And yeah. that could have been very hokey, but yeah. it works. Somehow it just works, and you don't laugh at it. You're just like, ooh. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with Bruce's selling of the technique and Katsumura-san's selling of the reaction of the look on his face is just, like and for anybody that's ever for I guess sorry any male that's ever taken a shot to the groin, uh, sometimes you get that shot where you're just like, "Yep, yep, I'm done, <laughs> I'm I'm finished." But uh, yeah, so that the whole finale is just so consistent to me. And then the also Bruce's acting throughout it too. The the fury, hence the fist fury that he shows even after he finishes the big final kick. That famously Jackie doubled for Suzuki, where he goes flying through the back, and then Bruce runs out, just screaming and flexing. Like you really see the the, the anger, and then it's like it all just kind of it's all bottled up, and, ah, and then oh, it's done now. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like oh, okay, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, and then that's when we he returns back to Jing Wu, finds you know the Japanese consulate people there, the the Chinese police are forced you know, to shut down the school unless Bruce presents himself. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just in a nutshell, I love this film. I love all of Bruce's films. And I I fluctuate back and forth because once again, Enter the Dragon, I usually call my favorite movie of all time. It's just, I love the film. And I love all the Hong Kong ones, but I bounce back and forth between which one's my favorite, whether it's Way of the Dragon, whether Fist of Fury, The Big Boss. In more recent years, I've really found a newfound appreciation for The Big Boss, especially the, the multiple versions of it in terms of the soundtrack and the dubs and uh, how you can watch it and appreciate it from these different uh, angles in a sense. But yeah, there, there's something special about Fist of Fury. And I feel like maybe whether people realize it or not, it's visually maybe one of the most iconic of Bruce's in terms yep. of just the the traditional get up, the fighting, you know, the uh, the Japanese. Uh, I mean, he has these, the nunchucks, the blurred hands, the, the battle cries. Uh, I think that Bruce is most famously recognized for come from this film. Really, when you think about it, there wasn't, I mean, the, the ones that people really associate with Bruce, it's uh, this film and maybe enter the dragon a little bit, but no, nah, I feel, I feel like the, the dubbed like battle cry sounds are most famously taken from this film that people associate with Bruce Lee. I just feel like it's maybe his most iconic role in that sense. Really people visually connect Bruce to his performance as Chen Jin. Yes, completely. Yeah. It's probably the reason why it's been remade a few times as well. Exactly. So that's another interesting thing. Like even in terms of Bruce Boitation, uh, when it came to sequels, unofficial sequels, remakes, this is the king of them all. So Golden Harvest did an official one. You know, they did New Fist of Fury with Jackie Chan, where they brought part of the crew and cast, including Nora Mao and some others. Then there was, uh, I believe, Lee So Nam did uh, their version of Fist of Fury 2, or also really says Chinese Connection 2. Uh, with Bruce Lai, which same thing. Then they brought in some of the actors, uh, cast member, members such as uh, Tian Feng came back for that one. And there was three of those, I believe, where Bruce Lai was playing uh, Chen Jin's brother. And I think by the third one, he's playing their other brother. I forget. Uh, uh, yes. Then there's just, I mean, uh, Dragon Lee did his own versions of these films pretty much as did Bruce Lai and just so many. And then the remakes, right, as we mentioned, of whether it was the Hu Yanja character or Chen Jin. I mean, uh, uh, Jet Li's version, Fist of Legend, Donnie Yen's version of Fist of Fury, the TV series, Donnie Yen's version of Legend of the Fist. Uh, so just so many different versions that can be analyzed. But you, you don't really see when it comes to the big boss. In name, it was borrowed a few times, but really the only sequel they did was uh, uh, the big boss, was it part two or two? I forget because Dragon Lee did one, but then the official one they did, whereas Lo Lee as... Uh, you know, playing his brother, there was yeah. that one, and that was about it. Way of the Dragon, there was an unofficial sequel with one of the, like, the one-time Bruce Lee clones, and I forget his name. Uh, and so, yeah, but that's like a one-off right there, right? With with Enter the Dragon, they never really stepped into that territory. But Game of Death was really exploited a lot, too, especially before it came out, just because I feel like, you know, they were trying to, oh, yeah, the lost Bruce Lee movie. But so really, I feel like, Overall, Fist of Fury is the the most exploited and probably because it's like you you associating it with being the most iconic. 
Yeah. And and again, also the one that has you you're not gonna watch this film and not feel emotionally engaged, emotionally mm-hmm. angry, and just it's it's infuriating the way the Chinese are treated in the film, period. Right. And so and- you're, you're Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, you have to keep that in mind, too, that uh, obviously some of the uh, racial undertones that exist in this film, uh, once again, it was made in a much different time, 1972, you know, over uh, 50 years ago. Uh, You also, from a post-colonial perspective, have to look at uh, the Hong Kong uh, uh, people, and they still, at this point, were too far removed from World War II and the uh, Japanese occupation of Hong Kong. So there, unfortunately, was still some of that mindset and maybe you might even say bitterness or ideologies that existed. Uh, I feel that in this film, they don't make it overtly racist towards the Japanese, but there's definitely that idea of the the Japanese being the obviously the antagonistic force and the enemies and unfortunately kind of evil. Now, once again, that's this period. You fast forward over 20 years later to Fist of Legend with Jet Li, and they made the Japanese characters much more sympathetic, so much so that, yes, they are still the evil antagonists in certain characters, uh, such as Billy Chow's character, but then also you have uh, Karata-san's character, Mm -hmm. who is uh, kind of almost looked at as like a master or sensei or shufu, and then you've also got uh, the Chenjian character dating a Japanese woman. So... It, it evolved over time. So, you know, you you may even step into this film, you know, watching and be like, oh my gosh, this is racist and this and that. Well, unfortunately, you can go back to really any uh, region cinema from that time period and pro- probably find a lot of racial undertones, just as you can with Hollywood cinema, heavily, you know, doused with it. And I mean, that's just something that it comes with time that people evolve, right? Our Our mindset evolves. And you can't always just rush to judgment of something from so long ago. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, let's look at this from the lens of the time it was produced and created. Uh, I I feel like it was more so used as a narrative uh, element and not so much as making a political standpoint. I mean, mean, if we're putting this into perspective as well, Bruce Lee was born in 1940. Yes. China was still occupied at that time. Yeah, well, and then I mean, he he moved back uh, to Hong Kong. Of course, I know, but right, I just said just right putting around, the time frame, just putting the time frame in perspective. Right. This film was made in nineteen seventy two, two, nineteen seventy two. Yeah. So it's only he's only thirty two at that time. So it's only about thirty two, probably thirty two minus five is twenty seven. So it's only twenty seven years since the Japanese occupation of China had ended. So it's under it's. You know, just like a lot of American films at that time, uh, the, the the evil force were always the Nazis. Uh, you know, the the World War II cast a phenomenal shadow over over the world even to this day. So the fact that some films might rely on easier stereotypes rather than more complicated stereotypes to get out a movie is that was the time and that i'm sure that that time still exists now with other other elements and other other uh other people and other evil entities yeah and it's the concept of othering right it's like you're taking and the nationalistic uh almost jingoistic type cinema still exists today i mean i i i think in american cinema it's a lot less and you know i think people are also a little more afraid to really step into that territory. But I mean, you still see it in cinema from throughout the world, right? Where, uh, and, and it's kind of, it, I'd say normal, but you know what? Making the the home the hometown kid the hero uh, against this, uh, the other, or, you know, the outside evil forces, this is just a standard uh, plot element that's been used throughout history, you know? Yep. Whether it's literature or plays, uh, since the early days of cinema. So it, it's nice to see that nowadays we don't get uh, as much as an overtone of racism that they existed before. And I, d- I still don't feel like we have that in this film. Uh, but there's definitely certain elements that people are going to watch and see and be like, ooh, that's a little outdated. But yep, yeah, that's just 
any cinema that's over 50 years old. I mean, look at cinema from the 80s. I mean, <laughs> here in America, like certain movies that we love, it's like, oh yeah, but that wouldn't fly today, you know? And same thing with comedy, same thing with a lot of things, you know, our uh, our perspective uh, of the world uh, changes over time. And that's a good thing. So it's, and it's good though, that we can look back at this and see and still, you know, be entertained, but also realize, wow, we've come a long way. Good mm -hmm. thing for that. Okay. And that's uh, a great final thought. I think so as well. So uh, did uh, you bring anything for language corner by chance? I did not by chance. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with a really easy one. So as I said earlier, the title is Jingwu Mun, uh, which Mun is like gate or door. Uh, so Mun is door, but I figured just Kai Mun means to open the door or uh, to be open. Kai Mun. Mun, M-E-N. Mun. Kai Mun. Yeah. yeah. So Kai, first tone, Mun. Kai. Uh, the rising tone. Kai. Mun. 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 Yeah, so it could be like twofold. It can be literally telling someone to open the door, like ting uh, kai mun, like open the door. Or if I go into a business or if I'm going to a restaurant and I'm wondering if they're open tomorrow, you know, I can, you know, call and be like, oh, well, anyhow, ni ming tian kai mun ma. Like, are you open tomorrow? So kai, kai. is to open. Mun is door. Kai mun. Yeah, to open the door or to like be open. Nice. So uh, often on like holidays, if I'm, you know, uh, planning to go to like a Chinese restaurant or something, or, you know, I'll ask them, uh, you know, uh, or like maybe, I think, was it last year we had to go somewhere on Christmas? I forget. You know, I can be like, oh, uh, like, so on Christmas, the holiday or the Christmas day, are you open? You know, so like, yeah, there you go. Nice. Like All right, it. my man, this has been fun. Okay. I'm going to turn this around. And so we have it released tomorrow. So therefore, you folks are lucky you're getting an episode before the week, Mark. So, yep, uh, this will be dropping tomorrow on Monday, the 27th, Bruce Lee's birthday. Sounds great. Peace, my man. Take care.